Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us live stream today. And we are so excited, uh, no matter where you are in a living room or around a dinner table, uh, wherever you are, we pray that this nourishes your faith this morning. And so today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, and uh, we're continuing our sermon series on following the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. Uh, But before we get into it today, let's uh, pray together. Father, we thank you so much that, uh, that you love us, that um, you have died for us, that you have given us yourself uh, on the cross to save our souls. And God, this morning as we gather, uh, no matter where we are, God, we pray that you would meet us, that you would speak to us, that you would be, to, be with us, Lord, that, that you would open our eyes so that we could see deep things in the scripture. And we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, wherever you are, why don't we stand together as we read God's word. So this is uh, Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be reading verses 17 all the way to verse 31. So stand where you are in respect to God's word. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful and he, because he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were amazed at at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began saying to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today, I want to talk about the financial crisis that we're in. You know, we're we're dealing with the uh, COVID-19 virus, uh, and and this is an issue. But for many of us, uh, we are much more worried about losing our wealth than losing our health. You know, for many of us, as we look at the economy and as we look at what's going on, uh, we're, we're, frankly, we're terrified about our financial future. So here are some stats that I read this week. So uh, the American economy now appears to be shrinking at a faster rate than during the Great Depression. Some economists are predicting a 20% or even a 30% drop in GDP during the second quarter of this year. Uh, I read this week that joblessness uh, claims are, are record high right now. 3.28 million people are without work. 
Of course, Congress has just passed a massive stimulus bill, and for a lot of us, uh, the, the economic situation that, that's so fragile right now is not just something that's going on in the nation. This is something very personal for us. And so many of you who, uh, you know, you've got work, maybe you've worked as a bartender, as a hair, you know, in a hair salon, and, and you, you, you can't open your doors, you can't work right now. And so you're watching your bank account dwindle, dwindle and frankly, you're afraid for the future. Um, others of you, you own small businesses, and so you've closed your doors, and uh, you're just kind of waiting. You don't know what, when you're going to get to open them, them again or what, what the financial future holds. And so uh, you're anxious, you're terrified, you're worried um, as you're watching your bank account dwindle. And today, today what I want to do is I want to address, um, address this fear, this financial fear today. Uh, if you're sitting at home and you're anxious about your finances, I want to talk to you. Uh, very personally this morning. I want to do it by uh, reading a story that we just read uh, about the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler is also having a disheartening financial crisis. Of course, it's different than ours. Uh, This is a crisis that Jesus pushed upon him. But uh, he's, he's looking at the prospect of losing everything that he's worked so hard to get. And he's terrified. And I think for, uh, for many of us, what Jesus tells him will shed light on how we can deal with our financial crisis. I think what Jesus tells him to do here in this passage will help us as we deal with anxiety about the future. So let's go ahead and jump into the passage today. This is a story of the rich young ruler. And so the story opens up and it says, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? So here's a man, uh, the rich young ruler. uh, He comes up to Jesus. And what we see here is a man who is admirable in almost every way. So here's a man who is, uh, he's he's, he's zealous. You know, he runs up to Jesus. He doesn't walk up to Jesus. He doesn't wait for Jesus to approach him. He runs to Jesus because he's so eager to meet him. He's also a man who's humble, so he kneels before Jesus. This is a posture of humility. He is a man who is uh, asking the right questions. So he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a good question. This is an ultimate question. This is probably the most important question that you could ever ask. This man is not lost in frivolous ideas. He is asking the most crucial, important uh, questions of life. He's a moral man. And so uh, he, Jesus reads him the commandments and he says, each one of these I have kept from my youth. And so this is, if he's telling the truth, and we have to believe at least to his own ability, he was a very moral person for all of his life. And on top of all this, he, it says that he was a man of great wealth, a great, of great means. In this day and age, if you were someone who had wealth, um, this was a sign that, that God's favor was on you. It was a sign that you did everything right in life, uh, you know, wealth was equated with blessing. And so here is a man who's so blessed by God that he's earned a tremendous amount of wealth. So here's a guy who seems to have everything. And he comes up to Jesus because he senses something is missing. He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do? What else must I do? I've done everything else. What else must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus answers this man in a way that's probably different than a lot of pastors. So a lot of pastors, if they were confronted with a man who's, you know, here's a man with wealth, with leadership gifts, you know, they would say, where can we sign you up? Welcome to the team, man. Join us. We could use someone of your abilities around here. Jesus doesn't do that. 
In fact, Jesus looks at him and kind of pushes him away. And so first, uh, Jesus says, uh, good teacher, why, this is verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. And so he pushes on this man, he pushes back on him, and he says, you know, who do you think I am? Am I just a good teacher or am I something more? And then he reads in the commandments. This is what you must do to inherit eternal life. He goes through them. And then the man says, I've done all of these since my youth. And Jesus, it says, looked at the man, loved him, and says, well, one thing you lack. He looks at the man who has everything and says, there's one thing that you lack. Well, what is it? He says, sell all that you have. Liquidate all of your assets. Give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He looks at the man, gives him a drastic command, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, then follow me. Now why did Jesus ask this man to do that? (laughs) This is kind of an odd thing to do. Why did Jesus ask this man to sell everything that he has? And a lot of people as they read this, they, they kind of look at it as sort of something that Jesus calls everybody to do. You know, Jesus, uh, for Jesus, wealth is so toxic, um, it is so evil that in order to follow him, you've got to get rid of it. That being wealthy and being a disciple are mutually exclusive, but this isn't the case. Um, As far as we know, this is the only uh, person that Jesus ever asked to do this. As you look throughout the Bible, there's actually a lot of people that were very godly and were also very wealthy. And so um, Job, uh, Job uh, was a man of great means. Granted, he lost everything. But after, after everything uh, was lost, Jesus, or God gave all his wealth back to him. Uh, Abraham was a man who was very wealthy. God called him to, follow, to uh, you know, strike out on a journey to follow him. Uh, Joseph was a man who was also very wealthy. Um, he was the second in command of all of Egypt. This means that he was the second most wealthiest man in all the world. Godly he was, but he was also very wealthy. And in fact, there's a guy in the New Testament, his name is Joseph of Arimathea. This is the guy who purchased the tomb where Jesus was buried, and he begged to Pontius Pilate to get the body of Jesus. And Joseph of Arimathea is described in the Bible as wealthy and a disciple. And so it's possible to have great wealth and still be a follower of Jesus. And so if Jesus isn't saying that everybody needs to do this, why does he ask this man to sell everything that he has? Well, I think he's trying to get this man to understand something uh, of his problem. You see, this man didn't have a resume problem. His resume was impeccable. He didn't have a moral problem necessarily, at least on the surface. He really was a good man. This man had a worship problem. He had a trust problem. He was following the wrong thing. He was trusting in the wrong thing. So notice when Jesus uh, tells him the commandments, uh, he reads him these commandments, and notice he left some of the commandments out. Did you you see that? He left out the first three that had to do with centering and focusing your life around God. And he also left out the 10th commandment, which is a commandment commandment about um, covetousness. And here he's telling this man this. He's saying, listen, You are trusting in the wrong thing. You are trusting in money. Money is your functional savior. Money is your God. Money is your ultimate source of worship. If you want to follow me, you must transfer your trust from your wealth to me. Now, Jesus calls everybody to do this. 
uh, everybody who follows Jesus must make an ultimate decision. You must transfer your trust. Following Jesus isn't just about turning over a new moral leaf. It's about transferring your functional savior from something else to Jesus. All of us trust in something. As Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. It may be money or it may be the Lord. It may be success or it may be the Lord. It may be your beauty or it may be the Lord. Everybody worships something. Everybody trusts something. And to follow Jesus, you must make an ultimate decision. You must transfer your trust from that thing and put it on Jesus instead. You must move Jesus to the center of your life. And for this man, that, this, that meant renouncing his wealth, giving up everything to follow Jesus. And so notice what the man does. It says here in verse 22 that he thought about what Jesus was asking him to do. And it says the man was disheartened by this command. And then it says that he couldn't give it up and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I want to ask the question, how does this story relate to us? I mean, here God, uh, Jesus, um, asked this man to give up all of his wealth what is he asking us to do? How do we apply this story to our lives? If it doesn't mean that all of us necessarily are called to give up all of our wealth just the way uh, he was asked to do, then what does it mean? And how might it encourage us in this current financial crisis? Well, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that although not all of us are called to do exactly what he did, all of us are called in some sense to do what he did. All of us are called to renounce our wealth. To follow Jesus, you must in some sense, renounce everything that you have. And I think for many of us in this financial crisis, as you're worried about uh, your business or you're worried about your job or you're watching your, your money uh, dissipate, your bank account get smaller, I think the word for you today is renounce your wealth. But what does this mean? Let me give you three things that this might mean for you today in this crisis. I think when Jesus asks us to renounce our wealth, He's telling us that we must renounce our wealth as our ultimate source of security. You know, all of us look to wealth as our source of security. And I think to some extent this is normal and, it, and it's good. You know, the Proverbs talk about saving your money and uh, not spending your money uh, frivolously, not living hand to mouth, but when you do get wealth, to put some away in case there is a crisis. And so in some sense, uh, having, uh, you know, uh, you know, three months uh, saved in the bank is maybe what you do. That's a good idea. That's wise. It is foolish to, s to spend everything you have. Um, th th when I first got here to Batesville, um, I reached a certain age where I had to buy life ins insurance, and uh, it cost kind of a lot of money, but it made me feel safer, and it made me feel like I was providing for my family. It's good to save money. And to some s in some sense, uh, saving gives you a, a certain measure of security, but here, here's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to see that, that our ultimate source of security is in him, not in our wealth. Wealth does uh, provide some security, but to look to wealth as your ultimate sense of security is, is a false sense of security. Why is that? Well, because wealth can go away. You can lose your savings. Um, in a day, very quickly you can lose it, in a financial crisis, in a recession. 
um, that can go away very quickly. Fi our finances are actually much more vulnerable, that vulnerable than we actually might think they are. Uh, another reason why uh, money is, is a bad uh, source of security is because money can't help you in what, to, to, it won't keep you safe from what really threatens you in life. Money can't save you from cancer. A bank account will not save you from divorce. None of it will save you from death. The only true source of security in this world is God. God alone is the place of safety. And in a financial crisis, when things are going crazy and our finances are, are fragile and our bank account is dwindling, it gives us an opportunity to transfer our trust, our sense of security from our wealth to God. Maybe you heard the story about the lumberjack and he went into a grove of trees and he was going to cut, cut down this grove of trees over the next several weeks and he saw a bird, a, a mama bird up in the tree and she was uh, making a nest in this tree to lay eggs and to raise her, her young. And not wanting uh, this, uh, you know, this, this bird to die, this, the lumberjack lovingly went over to the tree and began to rattle it until the bird flew to another tree. And then he went to that tree and he rattled that tree until she flew to another one. And then he followed her and he did that all the way through the forest until finally the, the mother bird left the, the, the uh, grove of trees altogether and she built her nest in a rock. Listen, every tree in this world is coming down. Anything you put your trust in more than God, you will lose. The most stable bank account will not last you must find your security in God's everlasting arms. God's everlasting arms are the only source of true security in this fragile world. In the Old Testament, all the way through the Psalms, the psalmist is always saying, God is my strong tower. God is my rock. God is my refuge. I want to read you uh, Psalm 11, verse 1. The psalmist says, the Lord, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? He says, God is my refuge. And though the foundations of the world, the foundations of the financial world are collapsing, God alone is your security. So rest in that today. Secondly, I think God is, Jesus is, is, is telling us we must renounce wealth, not only as our source of security, we must renounce wealth as our ultimate source of satisfaction. You see, this man, I think like many of us, he was looking to his wealth as his ultimate source of satisfaction. Uh, he, had, he had built this life and he had uh, manufactured a certain lifestyle and for him, this was his, his this, in his mind, this is what made him happy. This is what made him, gave him satisfaction in life. And he couldn't imagine a, a happy life without his wealth. You know, as he looked into the future, um, with his wealth gone and no more servants and no more mansions, he just couldn't imagine a happy life without that stuff. And I think for many of us, uh, we also believe that happiness is found in wealth. We may not say that out loud, but I think in some ways, um, we all kind of at the end of the day are looking to wealth as our source of satisfaction. Um, I was driving home one day from after preaching a sermon, and it was a good Sunday. I thought the sermon went okay, and the people of God were worshiping. 
And uh, I was just very content, you know, driving home from, from uh, church that Sunday. And when I pulled into my driveway, I saw that my uh, neighbor had just purchased a brand new truck. He was outside uh, looking at his truck. And he looked over at me and he says, hey, Brent, come and check out my new car. And so I, I went over there, and I'm not really a truck guy, you know. I've never, I'm not, this is not something that I lust after. But I, I, this was a very good-looking truck. I mean, it was white, it had chrome all over the place, and he said, Brent, why don't you, you just sit in the driver's seat? And so he opened the door, and I sat in, and he had, like, leather interior, and the seats were, like, had the warmers on them, you know. And uh, it was just, I was just, had my hands on the wheel. It was just this amazing experience. And he says, Brent, check this out. He said, I could turn this car on from my iPhone. And so he turned the car on, he turned it off, he turned the lights on, he turned the lights off. And I was just like, man, this is an amazing car. And when I got out, you know, and I said goodbye, and I looked back at my house to go home, I saw my, my rust-colored uh, maroon 1996 Toyota Camry. And suddenly, I had lost all of my joy. I wasn't happy anymore because, you know, it's, you know when, when you see what's out there, you know, when you see what the world has to offer, and you start comparing yourself to what other people have and what you don't have, it's very easy to lose your joy. The advertisers don't help us with this. Uh, it was Charles K. Uh, F. Kettering who said that the ad advertisers, they work on this, this one principle. He called it the organized creation of dissatisfaction. In other words, as you watch TV, it's like you're just, the advertisers are doing this on purpose. They're saying, you need this cheap beer. You need this vacation to Mexico. You need this brand new car to be happy. But of course, uh, J.D. Rockefeller said that, you know, how much money does it take to satisfy a man or a woman? Just a little bit more. Because at the end of the day, there is no amount of wealth in this world that will make you happy. Because wealth simply can't do that. You know, you, you have a hole in your heart. You have a hole in your soul. It's an infinite hole. And it, it will not be filled with anything else but God. Everything else that you put in there is going to rattle around. The only source of satisfaction in this world is God. He is your happiness. And so I want you to imagine, what if you lose all your money? Like, what if you do lose your business? What if you have to, you know, uh, sell your car? Or any number of terrible things? Do you think by losing those things you will lose your happiness? If God is your happiness, you won't because the Bible says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That means that no financial meltdown will separate you from his presence. And in his presence is fullness of joy. God is your joy. The best things in life are free, chiefly your relationship with God. All you need to do is invite him in and the greatest source of joy is yours. You know, yesterday we went to... Um, a painter's bluff, and uh, it didn't cost us a cent. You know, our family went out there and we uh, enjoyed this beautiful view for absolutely free. Uh, all of us together, we didn't have to go to a fancy restaurant, it wasn't a fancy vacation, and it was ours. And uh, a financial meltdown, a crisis, is a great opportunity to practice simplicity and to find your joy in God. The sad thing about this story is this man, uh, first of all, his, we know that his wealth wasn't making him happy because he goes to Jesus looking for something else. And then at the end of the story, it says that he went away with all of his wealth, his great portfolio, he went away with everything still in his grasp, and it says he went away 
sad because wealth can't make you happy. Finally, I think uh, God is, or or Jesus here and, and God in the voice of Jesus is telling us to renounce our wealth, number three, as our source of identity. We must renounce wealth as our source of identity. And I think this was uh, the reason why this man simply could not let go of his money. I think this was probably his greatest problem. This man had built uh, a life for himself. He had, he had manufactured this life. He had, he had built this lifestyle. And, and in some ways, uh, it really was a sense of identity for him. You know, when he looked at his, you know, brand new shiny chariot, maybe, I don't know, um, as he walked into his great mansion, as he, uh, you know, went on his, on his fancy vacations, he, he was telling himself, this is who I am. I am a self-made man. I have done all this myself. I'm important. I am worthy. I am enviable. And I think in some ways his wealth was his greatest source of identity. His wa- wealth was a way of, of telling uh, himself and others who he really was. And Jesus is saying, I want you to abandon that old identity built, built on wealth and I want you to forge a new identity rooted in me. And Jesus calls all of us to do this. You must uproot, uproot your identity um, out of wealth and you must root your identity in Jesus Christ and in him alone. You know, I think one of the reasons why in a financial crisis we have, it, it's such a horror, it's a, such a terrifying thing is because when we, we imagine losing our wealth or, or our bank account dwindling, we're not just seeing, you know, money going away, it's like our very self is going away. You know, during the, the Great Depression and even during the recession uh, back in to the early 2000s, there were people that, that chose to jump off a building rather than lose everything. It's because losing their wealth was akin to losing their very self, and it was better to die. And I think for many of us, losing wealth is such an existential crisis because we are our wealth in some sense. We are our lifestyles. We we, we are the things things that we've built around ourselves. But Jesus is calling us out of that old identity and into a new identity that's built on him and his love for us. What's interesting is when you look at Jesus, uh, Jesus was poor. I mean, did you know that? Jesus was poor. He didn't have any, he never went on a fancy vacation. Jesus never owned any property. He never traveled outside of his own hometown. He depended upon the generosity of others to live. And yet Jesus had a very strong sense of self. Because his, under, his self-understanding was not rooted in anything that he possessed. It was rooted in the loving smile of his father. You remember at the, um, his baptism, a voice came down from heaven and, and it said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this is what gave him a sense of worth. And for all of us who belong to Jesus Christ, this is where we ought to get our sense of worth. You belong to Jesus Because of his death and resurrection, the same loving voice that came down on Jesus comes down on you. You are a child of God. You are absolutely beloved. You're a worthwhile human being because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Your Ruth, your Ruth, your your, uh, your, uh, identity and your worth has nothing to do with your net worth. It has everything to do 
with what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. I think for many of us, when we, um, you know, when we're, when we're losing wealth and we, we're in a place where, where we need to ask for help, um, one of the reasons why this is so hard, it's hard to ask for help, isn't it? It's hard to admit that, uh, that you don't have enough uh, finances on your own to keep going. It's hard to reach out for help, help because so often um, our identity is all wrapped up in our ability to do it ourselves. But what if you knew for, a, for, for an absolute fact that God loved you, that your identity was rooted in him, that money had nothing to do with your self-worth, then I think it would be a lot easier to admit you needed help and to receive help when it was offered. So three things I think Jesus is calling us, uh, us to do here. In this financial crisis, I think this will give you peace of mind. It's counterintuitive. As you see the bank account uh, dwindling, as you see, as you're worried about the business perhaps closing, um, and I understand that's hard, I want to encourage you counterintuitively to renounce your wealth. Renounce wealth as your ultimate source of security. Renounce it as your ultimate source of satisfaction. Renounce it as your ultimate source of identity. You are secure in Jesus Christ. Nothing will take you out of his hand. Jesus Christ loves you. You are a child of God. God himself is your refuge when the foundations are crumbling. Let me give us uh, just a couple little application points before I close. I want to encourage you to do a few things as you're, as you're kind of living in this, in this time of anxiety. I want, you to encur- I want to encourage you to practice simplicity. Uh, that's one thing we can do now is uh, practice simplicity. And, uh, you know, kind of strip everything that's non-essential away from your life. And I think one of the reasons to do that is to remind yourself that your ultimate security is in God. That really, God alone is all you need. When you strip everything away, it reminds you of the fact that Jesus is your identity. I I want to encourage you, number two, to ask for help if you need it. Listen, your identity is rooted in Jesus. Admission of need is not an admission that, that you've got a weak sense of self. Your, your self is absolutely rooted in Jesus Christ. And so a need is just a need. I remember my dad, um, when he was in a place of need one time, he had made an investment that kind of fell through. And I said, Dad, aren't you worried about all this money that's going away? And he said, dad, he, he said Brent, he didn't say dad, he wasn't talking to himself. He said, Brent, it's just money. The great theologian Dave <laughs> it's just money. All it is is money. It's not your identity. Your identity is in Jesus. So it's okay to ask for help. And number three, I want to encourage you to be generous. In this time when uh, there is a lot of financial need around, um, if there are folks reaching out and asking for help, I want you to be someone that if you do have the means to offer some sort of help, I want you to be generous. Notice Jesus tells the man to liquidate his a- assets and to give them to the poor. And what a great opportunity for us to show that wealth doesn't own us, that we can be generous, that we could look around and see who else might have a need and offer to meet that need. So just an encouraging word today from uh, the life of Jesus. Thank you so much for watching, and let's pray together as we close. Father, we thank you so much that uh, you give us this command, this wisdom about wealth. Uh, You tell us to be willing to relinquish our wealth 
uh, to have an open hand because wealth is not our security, it is not our identity, it is not our ultimate source of satisfaction. And Lord, for those of us who are anxious uh, today, I pray that you would remind us that you are a strong tower, that in you we are safe. Nothing can touch us if we are in your hands. Remind us of that today. Help us to anchor our lives in that security today. And help us, Lord, to follow you wherever you go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for watching today. And as always, I want to leave you with the benediction. May the grace, the amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Go in that grace. Amen.